This is Dan from Burlington, Vermont, and I'm tuned in to the new TNN. Culture addicts, welcome back to the new TNN podcast feed. My name is Johnny C, and holy shit, we have got something on the docket today, ladies and gentlemen, that I think is really going to tickle your fancy. Now, what does that mean? Well, guys, February has been a little bogged down. You know, the feed was taken over by Junkman, the show that takes a look at bad movies for quite some time. It took a very, very Herculean effort to get through the 1997 epic film Batman and Robin, and it dominated the release calendar. And I know the not everybody's here for the movies. Some people are, and I appreciate that. So what I've decided to do was... I went out through the multiverse, although this is not the multiverse of fabulousness, and it's not anything made up. But I really tried to put my finger on the pulse of the feed and I tried to find a way to repay everyone for dealing with the six hour or whatever it was junk man episodes I mean for three weeks it was just junk man Batman and Robin okay and I get it I get that's not everybody's cup of tea so what we have today is an absolutely brand synergistic amazing new TNN podcast feed crossover event now, what does that mean? Well, it happens all the time. Well, in the world of comic books, it happens all the time. Hey, the the Titans are teaming up with the Justice League for this four-issue special. Well, okay, that's fine. But it's not limited to comic books. We see it in feature films all the time with the MCU. There's some quantum mania going on this week, you know, and things like that. But you also need to really take a step back and see that these crossover events have roots in television. Perhaps you recall when the Jetsons met the Flintstones. When Family Guy met the Simpsons. Hey, didn't somebody from Cheers show up on Frasier? Did any of the Friends show up on Joey? How you doing? I don't know. I don't know if that show was around long enough to have any special Friends crossover. But crossover events happen on television all the time. Isn't, doesn't some network have like 18 Chicago shows? Chicago Fire, Chicago Police, Chicago EMTs, Chicago Morgue, Chicago Parketing Tickets. Whoa, Chicago Meter Maids. That could be an interesting show. Hey, what are you doing? What are you giving me this ticket for? Is that New York or is that Chicago? No, Chicago's like this. Hey, what are you giving me this ticket for? Hey, I'm parking downtown Chicago. I come down here. I make this country run. I work in downtown Chicago. Hey, what are you owning me for? I got to do my job. You doing your job. You don't got to park in this space. Hey, 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 hey. You want to go watch the Cubbies? All right, let's go watch the Cubbies. Anywho, this is a new TNN crossover event. Why? Well, it's sort of an episode of Kingfish. 
It's absolutely an episode of Ringman because we're talking about professional wrestling. And God help me, it's also a crossover event with Concrete Man because it features some insane Vince McMahon commentary that we will get to. But I'm talking about the January 31st edition of Sunday Night Heat coming to us from the WWF, obviously, broadcast on the USA Network. But folks, don't let the title fool you. This is the episode of Heat that contains the Halftime Heat 99 match, which of course aired during halftime of the big game. What was that? That's not what I said. I said it aired during halftime of the the big game. What is that? Am I being censored? Has someone interrupted my live recording to stamp out me being able to say super big game? Damn it! All right, I can't say big game. It. I'm so angry. All right, this joke has been beaten into the ground. But yes, it aired during halftime of the big game. Now, I, of course, am doing my due diligence to make sure that the NFL lawyers don't come after the podcast. Of course, I don't think they'd give a shit. But would the WWF be so cavalier as to say the officially branded registered trademark name of the football event that's occurring on this date? We're going to track that. But you might ask, how is it a crossover of all these things? Ringman, it's wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, I am proud to tell you all that not only is this an episode of Sunday Night Heat, but it is Kingfish because the evil corporate heel version of Shane McMahon shares commentating duties with Kevin Kelly. And it is a doozy because the Kingfish has evolved. No longer is he Vince McMahon's baby boy who's trying to be good friends with Triple H and GGG and DX and worrying about Jacqueline, the baby with back. He is a full heel character that has motivations, machinations, and don't worry, the master plan has returned. I swear to God, the master plan is spoken of. What a show. And of course, it crosses over with Concrete Man because once halftime heat officially kicks in, once that match begins, Vince is left to his own devices with what I'm assuming he believes is perhaps the largest audience they've had in quite some time. And he is in full concrete man mode, despite being Mr. McMahon. So, without further ado, I don't want to spend any more time on introducing it. I'm excited, you're excited, Shane's excited, Vince is excited. We're all excited. Let's dive in to King, the, the Kingfish of the Ring Concrete Special. Yeah, that's what we'll call it. The Kingfish of the Ring Concrete Special. Let's begin. The episode proper begins the only way an Attitude Era WWF broadcast could possibly begin. Attitude. We start with a video recap of the I Quit match at the 1999 Royal Rumble. The Rock and his patented Don't Expose My Bosoms tracksuit taking on Mankind. It's a famous match. Immortalized by the camera lens of Barry Blaustein. Hey, Barry Blaustein. 
Monsoon, that's my friend Barry Blaustein. Not only is he going to direct the film Beyond the Mat, but he's kind of a big fan of Coco Beware. Buckwheat, if you will. Why did I say that like Dusty Rhodes? I'm Jesse the Body Ventura. But, you know, the match is very brutal. We're all aware of this. It's the I Quit match that's very, very famous. And the clips of the match are interwoven with the revelations from the most recent episode of Raw, where mankind revealed to the world that he did not say those words, I quit. He would not say them on a show. He would not say them to a hoe. He would not say them while stringing a bow. He would not say them on the water making a row. He just wouldn't say them, okay? But he did say them on heat that night. He said, I quit! I quit! I quit! And of course, the corporation recorded it and played it uh, at the end of the match, and The Rock has won the World Wrestling Federation Championship. But some time has passed, so we're all in on the gag, and that's why this match is happening. Mankind demands the empty arena contest here at halftime heat. In all seriousness, though, I gotta say, it's kind of hard to watch the recap footage of this match from the Rumble. I mean, if you really, really want to get serious about it, we're lucky that Mick Foley survived, okay? He did survive, thank God, but we're lucky it didn't ruin his life, his life as we know it now here in the present in 2023. And no, I am not talking about the 11 unprotected chair shots to the skull that he took from The Rock. Can you imagine if he took those from Fast Five era Dwayne Johnson? He would have been dead. But I'm more concerned about another spot that we see in this video recap from that match. The spot where mankind, Mick Foley, gets tossed onto the electrical circuit board and is electrocuted. What would have happened to this man? This sports entertainer who has given his body for our entertainment. What would have happened to him if some electric eels were nearby? Hmm? We could have had an electro situation on our hands. And as Electro once famously said, Damn, you gotta watch where you fall. But can you imagine Mick Foley wandered around town with that blue face trying to find the rock? Oh, he laughed at me. He hit me with a chair. He shot at me. Hey, Spider-Man, can you help out me? I'm Mick Foley. Now you are my enemy. Oh, I'm shocking you, Spider-Man. Have a nice day. No. Mick Foley could have became the villainous rogue known as Electro. But electrical eels present at the 1999 Royal Rumble is probably not a situation you'd often find yourself in. However, what would have happened if mankind would have been electrocuted while carrying a metal object? Hmm? We could have had ourselves an Ernest P. Whirl situation. As we all know, Ernest P. Whirl, famously electrocuted and Ernest goes to jail, lived the rest of his life with not only the ability to shoot electricity, shades of Shazam, but also attracting all metallic objects to his person, inhibiting his life as a teller at his local bank. And I think that probably would have hurt Mick Foley's ability to be in a wrestling ring, but thank God these events did not transpire. We see a graphic for the Halftime Heat match, and Kevin Kelly proclaims the match will go and take place at halftime of the Super Bowl. The ball's on this man. He said Super Bowl. I didn't say it. Kevin Kelly said it, and I'm just repeating it. He should have said the big game. But the Heat intro that we all know and love hits. Oh, wow. Wow, wow. 
and we enter the arena proper. It's a very nice full arena with lively fans. It's in Phoenix, Arizona at the American Airlines Arena or the America West Arena. Who cares? But this portion of the broadcast was taped on January 25th, 1995. Kevin Kelly welcomes us to Heat Proper, but immediately sends us to little Mikey Cole, fucking freshman version of Mikey Cole, who is in the empty arena. Mikey, let's take it to you. Now, Michael Cole, folks, much like Bill Murray in Rushmore, Michael Cole's seen some shit. I believe he was a war correspondent. And that's what he's channeling here in this empty arena with his very serious voice. He's like, Mankind, Mick Foley, and The Rock in an empty arena match, the first of its kind in the WWF. That's Todd Pettengale. But he is doing a serious voice trying to really set some stakes here. He's like, when the halftime heat match begins, the arena will be emptied of everyone. Well, except Mr. McMahon, who will be providing color commentary. And Earl Hebner, whose only job is to count the one, two, three, as it's a no-holds-barred, pinfalls count anywhere, no rules matchup. Sure, Mikey doesn't mention the cameraman and all the other people and technicians that'll be here, but we get the point, Mikey. He lets us know it's the third match in the vicious, grueling series between these two athletes. It started back when Mankind won the WWE Championship on Monday Night Raw and then continued just seven days ago at the Royal Rumble, and here we are for match three. What about the match at Rock Bottom? Didn't they fight there too? I mean, am I mistaken? I didn't look it up before I went to this verbal tirade. I'm pretty sure they did. Didn't they have like a no decision match, or is that St. Valentine's Day Massacre? Yeah, I'm pretty sure they had some sort of match where they both get stretchered out. I don't fucking know. Who cares? I think he's wrong, though, so I guess I care. This match could be brutal. This match could be fatal. One man will walk out the WWF champion. The other man may not walk at all. Back in the arena, I'm immediately confused because some techno music starts to play. I don't know if this is a dub or what. To make matters even worse, I'm looking at the beautiful, gigantic Titantron of the World Wrestling Federation while this techno music is playing. And folks, I thought Chris Jericho was coming out. Now, of course, we all know Chris Jericho doesn't debut until August of 1999 in that very famous edition of Monday Night Raw where he confronts The Rock. My mind knows this, but why would I think Chris Jericho is coming out? I don't like to throw shade, okay? I don't like to judge individuals by their, uh, where they lay their hat, if you will. I don't like to judge individuals by how many times they lay their hat in different buildings. What I'm getting at, fans, is I'm not saying that this lady gets around. But I'm confused because on the Titantron, I see the Chris Jericho stripper lady. Now, if you're familiar with Chris Jericho's WWF entrance video, especially in the early days, when it says Jericho, there's usually some sort of a pole dancer woman, mid-squat slash thrust, in the entrance video. Well, the entrance video that's playing during this techno music is this very pole dancing woman. It's the exact same footage. How many people used this woman in their Titan Trot? I think she's in DX's video. She's here in this what will be revealed as a Shane McMahon entrance video. She's in Jericho's entrance video. I mean, 
I'm not one to toss around the word whore or man whore. I'm equal opportunity. But I might be ready to throw this one, you know, to the wolves. However, as I mentioned, it is Shane McMahon. That's the explanation. I don't know what, I mean, they had no chance in hell at this point because it was a Royal Rumble theme. But Shane is leading his, uh, you know, this version of the corporation. Shane in a beautiful black suit wearing some fucking Robert Downey Jr. shades. He's flanked by Test, the big boss man. I should have said the corporate team's hired gun, Test, the big boss man. Kenny Kenny Shamrock, former challenger of the unknown, current Intercontinental Champion, and Corporate Kane. Now, as we're all aware, the Attitude Era and its comings and goings can sometimes be a little confusing, so allow me to set the scene. Last Monday on Raw, China joined the corporation. And Kevin Kelly lets us know when we return from commercial, it's time for her initiation. Well, we're back, and they paddle the shit out of her. I mean, they just beat her ass with a paddle. She's like, please, Triple H, can I have another? And, oh, wait, no, it's not It's not that type of initiation. Oh, sorry. Sorry about that. But we are back from commercial. But before we can dig into World Wrestling Federation action, it's time to view the WWF. Slam of the week. We're introduced to an old man in a cloak, carrying a wizard staff, summoning power from the skies. Could this be Gandalf, legendary wizard of Middle-earth? Or perhaps Rama, legendary lightning lord, astral, idolin, or summon from the Final Fantasy video game series? No, it appears to just be an old, confused man that's summoning Skittles that fall from the sky. So it's the Skittles Slam of the Week. The Slam in question? X-Pac tries to convince Kane to run with the DX crew, but he eats a choke slam for his troubles on Raw. Then, to make matters worse, Shane McMahon hits old X-Punk with a Bronco Buster. But we're back in the arena for the initiation of China, Shane is here to speak. He introduces the newest and hottest member of the corporation. Give it up for China! China's here, and she's flanked by the associates, Patterson and Briscoe. Kevin Kelly explains to us how China revealed her villainous turn. Again, last week on Raw, when The Rock was battling Triple H in an I-quit match for the WWF Championship, China was captured and held at the mercy of the corporate team. To protect his platonic friend, Triple H said those iconic words, I quit. Then, China revealed her true colors. It was a cunning ruse all along, and she turned her back on Triple H. Kevin Kelly wonders if it was perhaps an ungodly amount of cash that got China to turn her back. Shane McMahon offers China the microphone, and welcome to the big time. Now, ladies and gentlemen, as I'm sure many longtime listeners know, I'm a big China fan. Massive missed opportunity that could have set the women's evolution forward by about a decade. It didn't happen. Longtime listeners of TNN, the new TNN podcast, also know I like to do impressions. So I do this with the utmost respect for the late 
Great. China. She's handed the microphone. <clears throat> wow, wow, wow. What do you know? It's the opportunity to talk. Boo, says Phoenix. It's all about opportunity, right, guys? We all want to get ahead. DX wanted to get ahead, and they got me. I was the fourth behind DX, because I carried those four degenerates for two years. Where's my gratification? What did they do for me? Not a damn thing. It wasn't until the Royal Rumble when Vince McMahon came to me and said, China, we appreciate you. China, you have something we want. No, something we need. And that's appreciation. Vince was willing to get in, <laughs> to give in order to get. And it's all about the mighty buck, fellas. It's called greed. And the buck stops here. Appreciation. I got your appreciation right here, DX. Suck it. Because I can buy and sell you now like a bunch of cheap whores. I should mention hearth is bleeped out because it's Sunday Night Heat. All of a sudden, break it down. Here comes Degeneration X, led by a shirtless Triple H that's wearing a leather coat. He congratulates Shade McMahon on his success. You pulled a fast one on DX, but that was a one time. You had your one shot, and it'll never happen again, Jack. Shane looks indignant. To Triple H's words, like, me? What did I do? Then, when Triple H threatens him, Shane does the, ooh, finger waves, shades of Scott Hall. I want to know, what happened to these guys? When DX used to come out in the early days of Kingfish, Shane McMahon would mount the table and crotch chop and be like, yeah, my boys, my boys DX in the house. And China... You wanted to be treated like an equal from the start. So myself and all of us in DX. Triple H then stops because the crowd starts a loud China sucks chant. It carries on. It subsides. Triple H continues. Are you happy? Is that what you wanted to hear? China, you wanted to be treated like an equal. And we did it. The problem was we were never equals. Because the four of us are men. And no matter how bad you wanted a set, you could never get them. China, you're right. For you, it's all about the money. Because you're nothing but a two dollar whore. Oh! Wait a minute though. Pause. Pause, 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 pause. Isn't Triple H... Supposed to be the good guy here. From the start, you wanted to be treated as equal. Well, Hunter, from the start, you are equals. You're both human. See, see that. See what's the problem here, okay? Why did she have to want to be treated like an equal? Shouldn't she just be treated like an equal from the get-go in the storyline? See, folks, that's the way the world works. We're all equals. Until you reveal yourself to be an idiot, that is, and then we're no longer equal. has nothing to do with anything else. Now, like, we could talk about things like inherited wealth, systemic racism, and then generations of behaviors and scenarios that inform our day-to-day -day existence. Uh, but this one, this particular scenario, seems pretty cut and dry. And what's with the balls thing? Why does China want to have balls? I mean, 
I guess it technically makes you a natural male of the species, okay? But is there some sort of connotative meaning to having balls? Well, I wondered. So I tried to look at the connotative definition of the word man. You know, see how we use it in our common vernacular to describe things that are noteworthy or aspirational. Sometimes we say that someone is the man. Well, that means you're the best, the goat, the highest level of what you are or what you do. Luckily, in the wrestling world, if you just want to look at the wrestling world, Becky Lynch shattered that. And she took the man and turned it the phrase into what it should be. I mean, look, I, I don't know that the man should be a phrase for anything, but it is, especially in wrestling. To be the man, you got to beat the man, etc., etc. Well, who could argue, especially at that point in time, Becky Lynch was the man. I fucking love that catchphrase for her. I love it because it's like, you know, and she would even give interviews and be like, well, you know, do you think you're, do, you know, do you think it's, you're calling yourself the man. Do you think that's a, a bad image to, to give girls or something like that? And, and I... I kind of get where they were coming from. But Becky, and I, I'm, this is not verbatim, but she was great. She was like, no, it means I'm the best. That's all it means. That's a bad Becky Lynch impression. But I was like, yeah, you know what? Sure, like, it has a denotative meaning. Like, a, it, it is a, the man means one thing. But it's been adopted to describe someone that's the best at what they do, regardless of gender, in a lot of cases. So, the man, ceiling broken. Now, let's take a look at some more. You need to man up. That means you need to get tough. Well, folks, I was born with a set of testicles, technically making me a man. And guess what? I ain't too tough. I'm sure as fuck not giving birth to anybody anytime soon. That shit sounds like it fucking hurts. So man up, push that baby out. There you go. It has nothing to do with your gender, just a phrase. And women do it better than we do, folks. And we meaning men because I'm a man, and so I'm using that uh, grouping to describe the phrase we. Why don't you be a man, Hogan? Come on, don't be scared. Okay, that, that, that was un, unplanned in this. But, but be a man is one of the phrases I wanted to look at. Well, to me, that means be a man, do what's right. Doing what's right has nothing to do with the gender that you have. Okay, so is Triple H inferring that China wanted the balls for perhaps some sort of other purpose? Because none of these seem to matter uh, about gender, all right? I mean, maybe she wanted to dangle them from the edge of her truck. But you know what? If, you, if you're doing that, honestly, you should be erased from existence, so who cares? So my listenership may be small, but if for some reason... You're listening to my voice right now, and you have balls dangling from your truck. I'm sorry, you're no longer needed slash wanted here at the new TNN podcast feed. So deal with that. Speaking of morons, X-Pac grabs the microphone. Hey, Shane! That's shitty. Hey, Shane! You want to Bronco ride me last week, you nimrod? Well, I guarantee I'll get my hands on you. And when I do, I'm going to take that silver spoon out of your mouth and stick it straight up your ass. Whoa. Road Dog grabs the mic. Whoa, you, you, can't, you can't say that, Pog. It's a, it's, a, it's a Sunday night heat. It's a PG show. That's really what happens. Shane retorts that it's to X-Pac that it's easy to sound tough when you're standing on the ramp behind, and I quote, Oh, that DX beef. He then books Triple H in a steel cage match tomorrow night against 
corporate Kane. A-K-K-K, Triple H, you're a corporate Kane. Oh, man, it's going to be, you're going to be P-O'd when you get in that steel cage with corporate Kane. He's going to take you downtown. Ironically, they're just giving away a WrestleMania match for free on Raw with what's quote-unquote arguably a better stipulation because they're about to have a stipulation match on Raw in February and then they're going to go to WrestleMania and just have a straight-up singles match. So, whatever. Hey, yo, China, any last words for your DX buddies? I just have one word. Corporate. She hugged Shane McMahon? And that is that. We cut to the out uh, the exterior of the empty arena, where the empty arena halftime heat match is going to be contested. And a shitty car is pulling up into the parking lot. It's a Hyundai or something like that. And ladies and gentlemen, Mankind is in the passenger seat. This car is tiny. It's beat to shit. It's the perfect thing for Mankind to arrive in. What's even more perfect, Mick is in his full costume, and he's got about a pound of athletic tape wrapped over his head wounds. We hear a little bit of what Mick says to the driver, who looks just like a, a regular dude that he hitchhiked with. Uh, well, we're here. Thanks a lot, man. It's Mankind. He doesn't drive, you know. Kevin Kelly lets us know. Uh, mankind ain't tipping this guy or giving him any money. He does offer him a fist bump for his troubles, so that seems to line up with Mick Foley's brand synergy. He then sees some fans standing in the distance. Mick throws his arms up with the O'Doyle rules pose and says, I say, we got a belt to win. I say, I say. WCW spent so much money on mini-movies throughout the year, like Lost in Cleveland, Masters of the Power Bomb, Spin the Wheel, Make the Deal, White Castle of Fear, etc., etc. Why couldn't we just forget the entire first part of this episode of Halftime he- of Sunday Night Heat and just travel Mick as he wanders around looking for a ride to the empty arena? Perhaps he encounters the nuclear family, and he's like, Oh, hey, kids! You think your parents want to give me a lift? And then, you know, they ride away in terror because he looks like Mick Foley. And he's like, Oh! Maybe he's walking down an alley, and a, and a wealthy-looking, affluent couple, uh, a man and a woman with a child, come down the alley, the woman wearing some pearls, and Mick reaches out to shake hands, and he's like, Oh, hi! And he trips and accidentally rips the pearls off of her neck, and is like, Oh, jeez, I'm sorry! Oh, hey, can you guys give me a lift? And the dad's like, No! And Mick's like, Get away! And he punches him, and then the woman has a heart attack and dies, and the man has a heart attack and dies, and little Brucey there standing like an orphan, and Mick's like, Oh, jeez! I gotta go! Sorry, Bruce Wayne! Yeah, I just had Mankind killing Bruce Wayne's parents. It's been one of those days. Fuck you. (laughs) Anywho, halftime heat coming up in the empty arena when the Super Bowl, says Kevin Kelly, again, it's borderline criminal, when the Super Bowl goes to halftime and we head to a commercial. We're back from commercial, and it's time to get jiggy with some in-ring action. That's what the kidsters were saying in 1999, right? Get jiggy with it. I'm getting jiggy with it. Nah, 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 nah. I mean, was that 2000? The year 1999. I can't quite remember. You know what? It's irrelevant. But more importantly, it's time for what I would absolutely call the kingfish-based portion of this presentation. And that's based, of course, on the fact that Shane McMahon is now joining us at the commentary booth. And guys, if... You listened to Kingfish. If you followed Kingfish, I just want you to know, now that Shane's active as a character, he's amped it up quite a bit. 
as we return, Jeff Jarrett and Deborah are heading to the ring. Oh, the lovely Deborah outside. My pops has got mad hops. Mad hops. Don't worry about Stone Cold. Well, Kev, check out the puppies. The puppies are loose. He isn't wrong, but what the fuck is the first part of this sentence all about? Why is he talking about my pops? My pops has got bad hops. Is this supposed to give the illusion that they were talking while we were away at commercial? Jeff Jarrett, I should point out, as it's a big part of this show, is one half of the new WWF Tag Team Champions, along with Owen Hart. They won them, say it with me, Monday night, the same night China defected, by defeating the corporate team of the Big Boss Man and Kenny, Kenny Shamrock. Shane has a warning for the new tag champs as we see some footage of how they won the contest. Oh, there's going to be payback. No doubt. Deborah's so hot. Look, she tried to get up there for a distraction. And then, who is this dude? Who is this dude? The black and blue blazer? This is the third blue blazer. And wham! Waffled Shamrock and the one, two, three. Now, let me take a moment to explain the footage, and Shane's words. Coco Beware, WWE Hall of Famer, at this point in time, has been dressing up like the Blue Blazer to run interference in Owen Hart matches and also throw people off the scent that Owen Hart is the Blue Blazer. And on Raw, he ran down the aisle sort of like he's the airplane that feeds youngsters. You know, here comes the airplane. He's got his arms completely stiff and out like airplane wings. Like, <laughs> and it's just glorious. And I love it. I, I just, look, this is my fucking bread and butter. Okay. I love the blue blazer character. No jokes. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like joking. Okay. I don't like that about the blue blazer. What's wrong with you? Of course I don't. But I love Owen as a blazer. I love the black and blue blazer. I love that it's Coco because it's got high energy. Yeah. It's just fucking glorious. Uh, Jeff Jarrett's opponent tonight is out for some vengeance because it's the big boss man. Kevin asks Shane if China would perhaps get involved in this match now that she's a member of the corporation. Oh, China, the China syndrome. Maybe in a bit, but we're getting boss man set up. Payback time. The match is about to start. Kevin Kelly lets us know we're still awaiting halftime of the Super Bowl. Jesus, that's three times, Kevin. Three strikes and you're out. I'm telling you, they're listening. Uh, but we'll be right back. Wait a minute. What? We just got back. Oh, we're back right away. The bell rings, and here we go. Kevin Kelly promises that again. As soon as the Super Bowl heads to halftime, the match will be underway. This match, though, is clearly underway as the big boss man attacks from behind. Corner whip by the big boss man. There you go, boss man. Boss man is fired up. That's it. Boom. Nice shot on Jarrett. Uh, boss man with a big neck hang. Shades of WWE Wrestling for the Nintendo and slams Jarrett down to the canvas. Kevin Kevy. Kevin Kevy? Who's that? Kevin Kelly, though wants to know if the rumors he's hearing are true. Will Vince McMahon be hunting Stone Cold Steve Austin tomorrow night on Raw? <laughs> My pops is going, well, let's call it rattlesnake cutting. Oh yeah, oh yeah, baby. Two weeks until the St. Valentine's Day Massacre here in the 1999 world of the WWF, where Austin will battle Vince McMahon in a steel cage match. No, 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 not necessarily. Vinnie Mac has got 
The master plan going. Don't you worry about it. The master plan returns. Meanwhile, in the match, Jarrett grabs his tag team title belt and enters what Shane calls retreat mode. But the big boss man doesn't allow it. Boss man grabs the steps of Stolid Steel, tosses them full power at Jarrett, but Jeff is able to dodge and get the advantage as the big boss man enters the ring. Dropkick by Jeff Jarrett. The big boss man is draped on the middle ropes in a 619 position. And holy shit, Jeff Jarrett does the big boss man jumping rope assault move. You know, the one that doesn't have a name, the boss man always done does. But he does it to the big boss man. Is that even legal? Like, legal from a legality standpoint, not from an in-ring-based competition standpoint. How do you steal his gimmick? The big boss man fights back, angered by this jumping rope assault. Kevin Kelly tells Stone Cold Steve Austin, or excuse me, tells Shane, that Stone Cold Steve Austin is apparently uh, in a mood like no other. He's like the angriest he's ever been. This is good for the corporation, though. Because based on the St. Valentine's Day Massacre stipulations, if Austin touches Vince before the pay-per-view, he's fired. That's exactly what he's counting on. Kev! I mean, that's what he says! Kev! What do you want me to do? Lie about it? It happened. Don't tell me it didn't happen. I saw it happen. As Captain Nero would say. Uh, Kevin wants to know if there are any consequences going to be given to Bossman and Shamrock for dropping the ball. Are there any consequences for dropping the ball in the corporation? Not to use a Super Bowl analogy. And again, I didn't say it. Kevin said it. And Kevin, do you have no fear of dying a poor and broken man? Because the NFL will come for you, Kevin. Just call the match here. Come on, Bossman. Chinlock by the big boss man. Kevin again says the word, and at this point I'm done. I'm not going to track anymore because he says it incessantly throughout the rest of the broadcast, and the gag's going to get tired. But Kevin, just know that you're on the list, the NFL's list. Big Boss Man yells at Deborah, who's of course at ringside. The camera shows her. Shane McMahon says under his breath, but not under his breath because he clearly wants us to hear it. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> like, that's just what he says when a woman is on the screen. Oh, hell yeah. The big boss man puts his head down and a right hand by Jeff Jarrett. But a big mid-card spine buster by the big boss man in retaliation. Shane with his patented, oh, forgot about it. Deborah is now up on the apron. She reveals that, yes, like many women around the world, she is wearing a brassiere. The big boss man is distracted. Jeff Jarrett takes control. Shane clears it up for everybody who's confused. God. Deborah's dangerous. The big boss man, though, takes back control with a boss man slam out of nowhere. One, two, three. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, boss man. What's he doing? What's he going to do with that nightstick? Yeah. Yeah, boss man. Do that thing you do. Yeah. Nightstick a shot shots to Jeff Jarrett. Really weird moment here because boss man spins his nightstick before he strikes. Per usual. That's not weird. What's weird is that when boss man swings... The camera cuts away to a crowd shot during impact. Like, is this where we're drawing the line, USA Network? Seriously, everything else that's happened or been said on this program was okay thus far, but this night stick strike is where we're going to fucking put the line in the sand for things that we can't show on TV? I'm no prude, okay? 
The earlier stuff bothers me from a standpoint of like, how is Triple H the good guy because he said that awful shit? But it doesn't bother me where it's like, oh, we need to censor it. We need to burn those. But fuck you, you censorship. It's just crazy to me that this weak nightstick shot is, is what we didn't want to show is all. Anywho, we cut the Shane McMahon convulsing at the booth. Yeah, boss man, look at you. You're the bad boss man. Man, did you even see that Kev? The boss man. He is just evil. Elsewhere, a limousine is arriving in a parking lot. It's the same parking lot where Mick arrived in his fucking Fiero or whatever it was. Oh, hold the phone. Check it out. The corporate limo, baby. Yeah, halftime heat is right around the corner. Could this be? It's gotta be the rock. It's gotta be my pups. They're always traveling in style. The driver of the limousine goes to open the door. This driver, by the way, resembles uh, Mr. Dotcom himself, Paul Ellering. He's wearing a leather coat with some tassels. Not exactly a standard dress for a limo driver. The door opens, and it is Hussein Pontificated. It's The Rock! Tonight, he's going to be channeling Ric Flair from WCW 2000 and wrestling in a t-shirt as per usual for the time frame. Of course, Vinnie Mac exits the limo as well. Oh, look at that! Look at the confidence! Look at the confidence eyebrow! It's true, The Rock does lift the corporate eyebrow or the people's eyebrow, but Shade calls it the confidence eyebrow? Not a marketing term I've heard before, but I will allow it. The Rock, Vinnie Mac, heading into the empty arena. Cameras will be everywhere. This is going to be emotional. Halftime heat is coming up soon. And we head to another commercial. We're back, though, and it's time for another match. Uh, Our first contestant in this match, well, Shane lets us know. Uh Uh-oh, check it out. Here comes another corporate member. Give it up for the world's most dangerous man. It is World Wrestling Federation Intercontinental Champion of a current nature, but former challenger of the unknown. For more on that gag, listen to Kingfish. It is Kenny Kenny Shamrock. He's been extra crazy as of late, which is, of course, hard to imagine. Why is this? Well, the reasons for his recent craziness are based on the fact that he saw a film recently. The latest film from the catalog of actor Val Venus that was entitled... Sister Act. It guest starred Ken's own sister, Orion Shamrock. Now we see the opening title sequence to the film Sister Act, but the footage cuts out immediately and Kevin Kelly says, Wait a minute, we can't show that on heat. Kenny's opponent for the evening, Well, enough is enough, and it's time for a change. But as soon as I hear these beautiful words, we go to another commercial. Okay, just I I see what we're doing here. We're getting commercials out of the way so that so that we, being the WWF, can gain control over the flow of the show. Well played. Actually, this, this entire show, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say this. From a television production standpoint, it's a mastercraft in p- production. I mean, it, it's not, it doesn't change the world. It's not, like, beautiful to look at, okay? But... They they did exactly what they needed to do. They hit their time window. They got all their shit in before halftime of the actual Super Bowl. Uh, they got their commercials out of the way. Like, well fucking done. It's a little strange to watch in retrospect. Uh, but once you kind of realize what's happening, you can't help, at least from my perspective, marvel at what they have accomplished. 
We return from our commercial when Owen Hart is walking down the aisle. Of course, he's one half of the new tag team champions. Kind of a unique concept show if you think about it. We did the promo with the big China turn, so we got a big plot point. And then the new tag champs face the former champs in singles competition. And then, well, spoiler, the main event is, is right after this. So, not a bad hour of television, but we'll talk about that at the very end. Uh, random sign in the arena as Owen's coming down the aisle. Forget Iraq. Bomb Canada. So still some leftover bad feelings from the war of 1997. Shamrock attacks from behind. Shades of his tag team partner, the big boss man. The bell rings and we're underway. Owen Hart hasn't even been able to take off his patented uh, Enough is Enough and it's Clock for a Change t-shirt. Why was that never an official WWF branded t-shirt? I desperately wanted one, okay? Owen Hart's It's Clock for a Change might be the greatest t-shirt to never be in WWF history. Which, granted, probably isn't a long list, but it just secures the fact that Owen is on top. Shamrock has Owen in the corner. This is followed up with a big clothesline from San Francisco. A mounted ass jam by Ken Shamrock, because I don't know what else to call it. Kevin Kelly warns us, though, that at any minute, we could switch to the main event and halftime heat. Shane says uh, to Kevin... If they bail on this match, on Shamrock's match, he's going to make sure to tell Shamrock that that was Kevin Kelly's decision and all his fault. So this moment, I started to realize I kind of like the duo of Kevin Kelly and Shane because Kevin is very much a straight man, straight man. Like, he's very straight when it comes to uh, just being consistent with uh, calling the action. But he's also self-aware, um, which le- allows him to set up and lean into Shane's ridiculousness, and, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Here we go, Ken. Come on. Get in there. Fire it up. Boom. A boom in this scenario is just a punch delivered by Shamrock, but Shane absolutely liked it. Awesome. Shamrock is awesome. The most intense individual in the World Wrestling Federation. Maybe in the world. Owen then suplexes Kenny in from the outside. A float over to mounted punches. And uh, Owen's in control here, but Shane coaches from the table. Get in the guard, Ken. Come on, Ken. Patented spinning heel kick by Owen Hart, and then a gut wrench suplex. Owen Hart then takes off his amazing clock-based t-shirt and chokes Kenny Shamrock with it. This is countered with a standing jawbreaker. After the counter... Shane McMahon on commentary is going on, going off about Shamrock using his head and being a great wrestler. Now, behind Shamrock, clear as day on the picture of your on your television set, Shane McMahon is sitting at the announce table with the Intercontinental title draped over his shoulder. Small problem about this shot, though, as he's sitting there, calm as calm as all get out, with the title over his belt. On commentary, he's going at like a level 8. But the Shane in the arena is just watching. Mouth closed, no gyrations, just kind of like a person calmly watching a feature film. Kevin even calls out Shane on commentary. Uh, after Shane finishes his sentence, uh, he says, Cam- Shamrock's looking confident, just like you, with the Intercontinental title draped over your shoulder. Why bring more attention to it, Kevin Kelly? And I get it, this happens all the time, because the announcers just sit there and they record the commentary live to tape in post. It's totally fine. It's just hilarious 
given Shane's energy level at the time that the snafu happens, it's like if I was podcasting doing Shane's impression, but you were watching me do it and I was just sitting completely still with my mouth closed. It's just, it's, it's a funny contrast. What do you want from me? Kevin Kelly, though, reminds Shane about X-Pac's warning from earlier. Who? XPAC, please. I don't sweat X-Pac. Ken gets back in control, and after a kick, gets only a two count. Oh, man, it's been a great night for the corporation thus far. Hey, I sounded like my pops just then. At least he's becoming self-aware. Shades of Skynet from the Terminator series. Big right hands by Kenny Shamrock, but Owen ducks and counters with a belly to back. Ken fights back with a takedown, and he starts to work the leg. I'll tell you what, Ken Shamrock will just take you out in a street fight. Bang! 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 Possibly true. He has been touted as the world's most dangerous man by ABC News. But if Kenny is going to really take to a life of fighting on the streets, he needs to master some sort of a projectile attack like Hadouken! Kyuken! Yoga Fire! Yoga Flame! Sonic Boom! Sonic Boom! Or something like that. Because if you go out there just grappling like a Zangief, Hardcore players might like you choosing you, Kenny, but the casuals like to throw fireballs. This concludes the Ken Shamrock as a playable character in Street Fighter joke. Low blow by Owen Hart followed up with a body slam and a leg drop. One, two, no. Owen Hart goes for his patented Shawn Michaels heartbreak in Sigari, but Ken ducks and drops a vicious elbow to Owen who's on the mat. Ken has Owen down, but we need another commercial break, so stay with us. We're back. And Ken Shamrock immediately hits a Frankensteiner on Owen? Not bad. Wait a minute, though. Someone is running down the aisle. Oh, my God. It's the black and blue blazer. Shane chimes in. Oh, man. Is that Eugene Robinson? He's into the kinky stuff. Pause. Who? Who is Eugene Robinson? I don't understand this at all. It threw me off my game. I'm assuming... He's an African-American gentleman, much like a Coco Beware. But that's all about the, about the only thing I could infer. Because I'm assuming Shane McMahon wouldn't say that it looks like a white guy because it's Coco. It is 1999, so who knows what Shane is willing to say. But who is a Eugene Robinson and what is this joke all about? Is Eugene Robinson into the kinky stuff? Well, apparently, Eugene Robinson was a footballer for the Atlanta Falcons. That team, the Atlanta Falcons, by the way, former uh, team of Neon Deion Sanders, uh, would lose in the Super Bowl, which was active at this moment, to Denver, the Denver Broncos, by the way. And folks, this is January 31st, 1999. The Super Bowl, halftime heat airs, etc. In the real world, on January 30th, 1999, Eugene Robinson the footballer of the Atlanta Falcons, was arrested for solicitation of a prostitute, if you don't know what that means. Now, this little bit comes from Wikipedia verbatim. It's just too priceless to not include in this retrospective. The night prior to Super Bowl 33, Robinson was arrested by an undercover police officer for soliciting a prostitute. Earlier that day, Robinson received the Athletes in Action also known as the Bart Star Award, which is given annually to a player who best exemplifies outstanding character and leadership in the home, on the field, and in the community. 
After the arrest, Robinson agreed to return the award, according to sources quoted on Wikipedia. Uh, The next day, which would be today, without much sleep the night before due to the prostitution incident, Robinson gave up an 80-yard touchdown reception to Broncos receiver Rod Smith, giving the Broncos a 17-3 lead over the Falcons. Later in the fourth quarter, he missed a tackle on Denver running back Terrell Davis, hey, I know him, that enabled Davis to break a long run to the Atlanta 10-yard line. The Atlanta Falcons ended up losing the game 34-19, and Robinson was widely denounced by the press and fans for the previous night's incident. The next season was Robinson's last with the Falcons. So yeah, ouch, thank you Wikipedia, and I kind of love the gag. The black and blue blazer mounts the turnbuckle, but Owen Hart is thrown into the ropes. The black and blue blazer comically takes a nut shot and then crumbles to the mat in a very delayed sequence. It takes the black and blue blazer quite some time to fully flip over and tumble off of the ropes. It's hilarious. Belly to belly by Ken Shamrock. One, two, three, and the tag team champions have had a very bad night. Yeah, yeah, give it up for the corporation. Look at those eyes. Ken Shamrock would annihilate you. It's true. Kenny looks frightening. Owen checks on the blue blazer and is confused, kind of pantomiming. Who is this guy? What's he doing here? We see the graphic for the main event of the evening. But first, it's time for the world premiere of the WWF Super Bowl commercial. Kevin sets it up and we see it. Now look, if you haven't seen it, the general concept is WWF stars walk around Titan Towers, letting us know that the negative stereotypes surrounding the WWF are just a bunch of nonsense. Uh, But of course, the actions of the superstars are betraying or contradicting their words. This commercial is an absolute flex. And whether or not you find the commercial comical is fine. I, I do. But you can't deny how far it goes to demonstrate the sheer fact that its existence exemplifies how popular the WWF was at the time. I mean, this is just a money burn. Uh, the highlighted stars that get speaking lines are Stone Cold Steve Austin, Sable, Rock, The Undertaker, and Mankind, with various others appearing in non-speaking roles. I saw Val Venus, Kane, Triple H, China. Uh, there's a blind referee, which I guess is funny, etc., uh, etc. Et Famously, at the very end of the commercial, uh, we see the outside of Titan Towers, a window explodes, and a dude is thrown out the window. As Vince watches from like the outside, he spikes the camera and says, Get it? Uh, get it, by the way, is just the first example of Vince McMahon using the Super Bowl as an opportunity to explain to a mass audience what the WWF really is. But let's wait for that conversation when he gets on commentary. Uh, The two football helmets of a cartoon nature collide that say heat, heat. Uh, The Super Bowl is now officially at halftime. And everything from this moment forward is a part of halftime heat 
proper. And that's me doing the finger quotes. It's like a brand new show is starting. So much that after the Heat logos collide with football helmets, we do the opening arena pan shot like it's just the opening to any other show, and we see the halftime Heat football-based logo. Shane fires everybody up. Welcome, everyone, to Halftime Heat. This is what it's all about. Pumped up. The WWF Championship is on the line between The Rock against that freak, Mankind. We see split screen of Mankind in the empty arena, in the ring awaiting The Rock while his music is playing. Shane puts over that Mankind basically blackmailed The Rock into this match by holding The Rock's bonus of $100,000 hostage to make The Rock agree to this match. Mankind gets a special halftime heat name graphic, complete with a football logo. Um... In the lower corner, he's listed as WWF Challenger? I get that graphics packages are hard to design. The Rock will be keyed in the same position as WWF Champion. So could they just not get the little logo to disappear on Mankind's? Does he have to be keyed as WWF Challenger? Again, another example of them really going out of the way, assuming it's your first time watching. And I get that. I get it, but this WWF Challenger made me laugh. Out comes the champion, of course, with Vince in tow. Here comes the champ. Here comes my pops. Oh, yeah. The Rock, the World Wrestling Federation champion. My pops, the owner of the WWF. Check out that stud. So, again, Shane just making sure to over-explain who these characters are in case it's your first time. Uh, Rock, as I mentioned, keyed as WWF champion. Vince McMahon wanders over to the commentary table. Vinnie Mac is about to call this bad boy. Down the line, of course. No interference from my pops. Let's go to the old man. Thus ends the Shane McMahon and Kevin Kelly portion of the show. We're never going to cut back to Ray Phoenix, where heat proper was taking place. The Kingfish crossover is complete. And it's time to listen to the concrete man himself. As we present the main event of Halftime Heat. Now as we kick things off here, just a small primer. Uh, This is not a match. Well, it's more like a cinematic match, okay? Vince calls this thing solo. And Vince pivots between character, Mr. McMahon, and the owner of the WWF that is promoting this company... Uh, to a large audience of potential first-time viewers. Sometimes he's in pure salesman mode. Now, this Halftime Heat special, and I wanted to to key this up before we talk about the actual Halftime Heat match because it involves the the big game directly and what have you. This episode of Heat did a 6.6 rating share, which equates to, at the time, 11 million viewers. Now, the big game 33 as it's known, had a viewership of $83.7 million. Million dollars. God, I'm used to talking about the box office. So 13% of all people, hypothetically, watching the game switched over to Heat. Not bad. The halftime show in question was uh, Gloria Estefan and Stevie Wonder. And just in case you forgot it was 1999, the halftime show also featured... The big bad voodoo daddy. I say you and me and the bottle make three tonight. Yeah. This match also contains 
a lot of dialogue. I will do my best to balance the action, funny dialogue, and Vince McMahon's insane commentary. Speaking of which, he begins in character. The Rock should not have to dignify defending the WWF Championship in this manner against such a deranged individual. He was forced into this match. Indeed, he was actually coerced. $100,000 in cash, which was The Rock's money, held up by mankind, who stole that money and held that over The Rock's head. The bell rings. The arena is empty. Here we go. Rock and Foley yell at one another. You're going one on one with the great one. Come on, what do you got? I'll give you the first shot. Sure enough, fisticuffs, center ring. Vince tells us it's history in the making. The first ever empty arena match in the WWF's history. Mick with an Irish whip and a reverse elbow. Come on, you bastard. One, two, no. Double arm DDT by Foley. One, two, no. Unquestionably, The Rock is the quintessential WWF champion. He's young. He's aggressive. He's corporate. Wait a minute. Mankind, put it on what he calls Mr. Socko for that paralyzing hold, the mandible claw, and now it's sucked down the throat of the rock, trying to temporarily paralyze the rock, and the rock escapes. So, did you hear all that in there? The little details Vince is adding for our potential new viewers, uh, you know, putting on what he calls Mr. Socko, for the paralyzing hold, the mandible claw, which will temporarily... Par- I mean, you see all the all the things that he's adding, all the accoutrement. I mean, in a regular episode of Raw, you know, he puts on the sock and they just yell, Mr. Socko! Mandible claw! Like, they don't have to explain it because they know you're here because you want to be here. You know, you're, you're a fan. You get what I'm saying. Uh, but sure enough, both men fall to the outside. Mick hits a baseball slide, and then a double-arm DDT on the floor. One, two, no. Now, as The Rock kicks out, he yells, Shit! Uh, it is bleeped, because it's Sunday Night Heat. Another kick out by The Rock, with an expletive, I might add. Nonetheless, The Rock should not have to defend a title in this manner at all. Pivot back into character there. Mick slams The Rock into the timekeeper's table, and the ringside bell. We get some Foley work. Uh, no, that that's not a way. I mean, that is a way to describe Mick Foley putting on a five-star classic, Foley work. But in this scenario, Foley work is sound added by a Foley artist, which is a job, uh, in post-production. Uh, because when they get slammed into the bell, the bell rings with the perfect pitch volume and sticks around for just the right amount of time clearly added in post-production then they start to fight towards the announce table no not here come on mick slams the rock into the announce table keep this in the ring what kind of a challenger are you what kind of a match is this what what i say you're next vince you're next Now, even Earl Hebner, who is the assigned referee, gets a speaking line here as he gets in between Mick and Vince, who are having a verbal argument. And he says to Mick Foley, Come on, that's not your opponent. (laughs) What the? I love the random things that referees say to people during a match. Come on, that's not your opponent. Like, he knows. The Rock is rammed into the steps. Then the Rock is Irish whipped. He reverses it. And mankind flies through the security barrier and into the front row of chairs. You'll go straight to hell, mankind. 
The Rock is now in control. He yells, you're going one on one with the Great One. And as he says, Great One, he does his patented shake my foot rock kick. You know what I'm talking about. The Rock goes to stomp on an opponent and he shimmy, 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 kick. It's quite comical. He covers one, two, no. What a lucky kick out, Vince adds. Hip toss and Mick Foley lands on top of a row of chairs and it looks painful. Have a seat. Get him, Rock. Yeah. Rock starts to form a pile on top of Mick by tossing chairs. The Rock says, one chair. How about the Rock says, maybe two. You want this one? That's three. You big tough guy, huh? Mankind quit. He publicly said, I quit at the Royal Rumble and then stole $100,000 of the Rock's money. The Rock now gets a folding chair, shades of the Rumble, and slams it into the pile of chairs to drive it onto Mick Foley. My goodness, that's going to leave a mark. Come on, Rock, get him while you can. The Rock wanders over to Vince, though, and Vince hands him the headset. Finally, halftime, the Super Bowl, the Rock, the Great One, the most electrified man in sports entertainment today. If you smell. Now, mid-smell, as The Rock is yelling, we cut to a shot of Mr. Sacco still attached to Mankind's arm, hoisted in the air. What the Rock is cooking. Now I'll tell you what Mankind can do. What? <laughs> yes, that is the sound of The Rock eating the mandible claw while still doing commentary. Still in the mandible claw position, Mick walks the rock over to the steps that lead off of the arena floor and they start to ascend. Vince regains control of commentary as rock hits a low blow. Imagine mankind interrupting the eloquent speech on the part of the rock. He's highly intelligent, highly skilled. The rock is indeed the corporate champion. Vince mentions that Foley has been a past champion, but adds mainly due to the interference of Stone Cold Steve Austin. Whom, quite frankly, chickened out. He was scheduled to do commentary with me today. He chickened out, but that's all right. I don't remember that at all. And couldn't find further details. I'm sorry. Vince then advertises that tomorrow night on Raw, in Texas, mind you, he's going to go after Austin directly, getting in a nice little plug for tomorrow night's show. You got to do it, and I appreciate that. Uh, meanwhile, Mankind and Rock are fighting while walking up the steps. Imagine this deranged, disfigured mankind being the World Wrestling Federation champion. What kind of an example would mankind make? So again, playing to an audience that may not know the character of mankind and Mr. McMahon, and this explains why Mr. McMahon wouldn't want mankind as the champion. A hard right hand by The Rock, and here we go with some patented Vince McMahon concrete madness. Those of you just tuning in might say, what the hell am I watching? Well, what you're watching is history in the making. The first time ever, empty arena match for the WWF title here in the World Wrestling Federation. But more than that, you're watching Action Adventure. <laughs> That's what the WWF is. Soap opera. It's Roadrunner. <laughs> Elements of one life to live. It's like Hollywood and Broadway and all points in between. There's nothing quite like the World Wrestling Federation on television, the number one ranked television show in all of cable television. 
to add the cherry on top to this ludicrous statement. As Vince finishes, the camera shows The Rock hiding crouched behind a tiny wall waiting for mankind to get up the steps so shades of the Roadrunner and Coyote he can strike. Now let's pause. Is that the most Vince McMahon statement of all time? It's absolutely his elevator pitch. It's his moment to show the world, yes, I'm ashamed of being in the wrestling business, but I'm not in the wrestling business. I'm in the Roadrunner business. Is the Roadrunner business that much better? This is his moment, and he compares the W to Roadrunner. <laughs> I just, it's one life to live. Elements of one life to live. Like, it's just, it's the most Vince thing ever, and it should be immortalized on a t-shirt or on the man's tombstone even. I believe this statement that much. The Rock, sure enough, does spring up from behind the wall and strikes with a garbage can. Is that Shades of Broadway or One Life to Live, Vince? Your call. Hits him again in the skull and even a third time. How about a kick in the ass, says The Rock. Sure enough, another shaky leg rock kick to the ass of mankind. Now The Rock takes a few steps back. He winds up with a vicious kick that sends mankind rolling down all of the steps that they just struggled to climb. Three points to the uprights. Mick continues to tumble and roll. Bit of a bumpy ride. (laughs) Poor Mick Foley, man. Uh, The Rock follows down the steps holding the trash can while, ironically, talking trash. You look like about 10 pounds of monkey crap in a five-pound bag. And you feel at home with a little trash on your monkey ass. And the rock dumps garbage onto mankind. Mankind now rolls down more steps, but these steps lead to the arena causeway. And guess what, folks? I lied! Because as mankind and the rock disappear down these steps, we cut back to Rayfinex, Arizona, as Kevin Kelly and Shane McMahon are sitting watching the match from the announce table. I didn't lie. I just wanted to stress that the heat portion of heat was properly over. Okay. Uh, Shane does speak some more. Yeah, baby! That's you, Rock! That's you, Rock! Shane then walks us through some replays of what just happened so we can set up the next shot. Well, this is all pre-recorded, okay? But they need something to cover the segue to the next area. Uh, we get a replay of the Rock's sneak attack. And Shane narrates, Let's check this out! Yeah, The Rock just took out the papers and the trash. Bonk, bonk. Come on, Rock, get in there. We see Mick rolling down the steps again as Shane adds mystery science theater style. Boomina, 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 boomina. Now the seed transition is complete. Bye-bye, Shane. We head back to the empty arena, but we're now in the kitchen thus proving that Shane was just acting as coverage for our scene change. The Rock has Mick down, and he breaks a mop over his back. Somewhere, Perry Saturn weeps. Mick's crawling on the floor near a very large display of cotton candy bags that are hanging from this large display. How about a little cotton candy? You're such a boop! Maybe you like some of that. Ugh. I'm not sure what they beeped. But if it's what I think it is, boo! Now, I'm not excusing it. And I won't. But I do know, because I lived in 1999, that it happened all the time. It's probably one of the things that uh, I'm least proud about. 
about growing up in that era because it just got tossed around like it was nobody's business. That is quite a downer. All right, maybe he's not the only one with a sweet tooth. Thank you, Vince, that helped. Five dollars for a cotton candy. Five dollars, you probably wouldn't pay for it anyway. The prices they get at these arenas these days is ridiculous. All right, now I'm completely cured. Rock picks up a cotton candy bow staff. What's that? Well, it's a pole with bags of cotton candy still attached to it, and he rams it into Mick's face. Mick then gets rammed into freezers that are labeled 7 and 8, but they're labeled with Roman numerals, shades of WrestleMania. Is this some sort of Easter egg? Or just part of the normal kitchen configuration? We'll probably never know. The Rock now grabs Mick's hand. Look at this, Mr. Socko! Mr. Socko to Rock's ass! And he yanks Mr. Socko off of Mick's arm. The Rock places Socko sort of on his own hand, and he starts to perform as Mr. Socko. He does like a, No, Rock, please leave me alone! And he's like talking to his own face. No, please, please! Then he balls up Mr. Socko and says, Oh, please, Mr. Rock, don't put me in the oven! He yanks Mr. Socko completely off of his arm, and he walks towards an oven. Mr. Socko, or the rock as Mr. Socko, says, No, please, hold on, no! And the rock tosses Mr. Socko into the oven. Mick Foley, enraged, attacks, but accidentally places his hand on the oven. The Foley artist returns, adding a sizzle sound, to the proceedings as Mick yanks his hand away in pain as if it's just been burned. Looks like you want to really smell what the rock is cooking. The rock opens the oven and place places mankind's head inside. Mankind is in the hot seat. Mick's head touches the inside of the oven. We go into overdrive mode with the sizzle burning sound. It's like zzzz. Foley breaks away in pain but is then tossed into a lemonade fountain. Ah, some lemonade. That cool, refreshing drink. Cookie sheet to the skull. Mick then flies through some hanging pots and pans. Now, he's near a tray of sandwich buns. The Rock calls mankind a sick freak and tosses the packaged buns on top of the skull of the deranged one. This bread shot is enough for The Rock to go for the cover. One, two, no. I can't believe he kicked out. Mankind can't stand the heat. So get him out of the kitchen. Or finish him off, Rock. A big right hand sends Mick into a stack of dinner plates. Of course they fall. Stop making a mess. The Rock then grabs a battle. A battle? What's wrong with me? He grabs a bottle of Jack Daniels. He unscrews the bottle. He uses it as a microphone and sings. Jack Daniels, if you please, knock him to his knees. He takes a big swig, but Mick punches, causing the rock to shoot forth the viscous liquid. That, that wasn't real liquor, by the way. Real liquor has never touched the rock's lips. Oh, Fins, now you're just projecting. Mankind disappears off camera. He then comically reappears with a giant bag of popcorn. He winds it up and slams it into the people's face. Again! Again! And again! Popcorn just being strewn everywhere! 
He actually says that. Mick slams the rock into a door marked exit. Earl Hebner slips on the popcorn. Now where are they going? Now we're in catering where people are sitting casually reading news periodicals. Why are there people here? I was promised an empty arena. Both men are down. The onlookers stare with their mouths agape. The rock picks up a piece of popcorn from the ground. He eats it. He spits it out. Too much salt! And delivers another patented rock shake kick to the skull of mankind. Indeed, the salty WWF champion just hammering on mankind. Oh, Vince, what a delicious pun. They then fight while separated by a long table of catering items. Plastic cutlery, foam cups, a juice bowl, all get tossed and thrown. Nothing is safe. Not even hot items like chicken. And I think I saw corn. The crew, who were looking for seconds, are going to be out of luck. Mankind is now covered in hot sauce. He's got some in his eyes. The Rock takes a little hot sauce and he licks it off of his finger. He's appalled that this sauce is causing mankind pain. And he yells, It's mild! You! Ah! The Rock is cut off by a stiff right hand and is rammed into the food himself. Mankind sets up the pull-the-pants pile driver. No! Not on the concrete! Yeah, he said concrete. Rock counters with a back body drop into the table, and Mick is now just completely covered in shit. It's all over his shirt. What a mess. What a mess. The Rock picks up an unknown exotic fruit. He examines it. You're like this, this. The Rock doesn't even know what this is. And he slams it onto the prone mankind. But then mankind retaliates with a low blow. One, two, no. Ice water is tossed onto mankind. Vince pontificates. Can you imagine some lady, so, some lady from Dubuque, Iowa, switching over from the Super Bowl, having just watched Gloria Estefan? Vince, though, is cut off by The Rock yelling and pouring beer onto Mick Foley. Now we're heading out another door that leads, according to Vince, to an office area. A cameraman runs down a hallway, and we end up in a business office in the arena, where a man and a woman are reviewing some very important paper-based documents. The door flies open, and the two titans of sports entertainment crash inside the room, which I should add is covered in an insane amount of 1970s wood paneling. The Rock punches mankind into a computer chair that falls right over, depositing Mick on the carpeted, but I'm sure still very painful floor. Mankind, a fish out of water! Of course, The Rock! is right at home, being the corporate champion and all. Which I thought was funny, because, you know, they're in an office. The phone rings. Well, what do you know? How convenient the phone's ringing. The Rock answers. Smackdown Hotel, that's right. Well, no, Mankind's not available right now. He's a little bit busy. His mouth is full. The Rock shakes his leg. With The Rock's foot, he kicks! Vince does his patented laugh. Ha ha ha! Only in the World Wrestling Federation. The Rock hangs up and punches Mick in the face. The phone rings again. Smackdown Hotel. Quarter of New Year Old Boulevard in Jaboni Drive. No, Mankind can't talk. He's a little tied up right now. And The Rock chokes Mick fully with the phone cord and they fall to the floor. The Rock with a great sense of humor. That's what makes him who he is. The Rock then holds the phone up to Mick's ear. Say hello for The Rock. 
what you think about that? AT&T, MCI, whatever your plan is you want. And another wind-up kick. The Rock then turns his attention to the lady in the office. Look at you, honey. What are you looking at? You don't want any of the most electrifying man in sports entertainment today. She shakes her head, no, but her face betrays and seems to say, yes, you really don't, do you? Well, you know what? You're a big fat piece of trash anyway, so get to stepping. She shrieks and flees. Uh, She wasn't big and fat, but, you know, whatever. Mick uses the opportunity and strikes. They fight outside of the office as Mankind does his patented, Where's he? Where's he? Where's he? They fight in the hallway. And it's at this moment I notice that Mankind, Mick Foley, shades of Richie Tenenbaum from the Royal Tenenbaums here. Mankind is now wrestling with just one boot on. Well, that's 72 unforced airs for Richie Tenenbaum. He's playing the worst tennis of his life. He's actually taken off his shoes and one of his socks, and actually, I think he's crying. They fight around the corner and through another door. We see Shane McMahon and Kevin Kelly again so they can cover for us. Shane yells, Come on, Rock! Come on, Rock! Now we are on the loading dock. Shane and Kevin are gone. More punches. More kicks until shades of the Matrix Revolutions. Mick and Rock punch each other at the same time in the face and fly to the floor for a double-down spot. Vince seizes the opportunity. The World Wrestling Federation, proud to bring you this halftime heat. Proud to bring you this World Wrestling Federation title matchup. The most unique, perhaps, in history. Mick is up first. He's taken the sock off of his exposed foot. It's a new Mr. Socko! He connects with the claw. It's buried deep in the gullet of the World Wrestling Federation champion. They struggle. They end up next to a forklift. The forklift is carrying a payload of beer kegs that are raised high off the ground on a forklift. The rock is fading. He continues to fade, and he's out of it, completely unconscious and underneath the kegs of beer. Mankind has an idea. He turns to the old man sitting in the forklift driver position and politely asks him to exit. Can you get out, please? The man does, and Mick is now in the driver's seat. Vince is furious. He's saying, get out, please. What kind of a cretin is this man who says please? Mankind lowers the pallets of beer kegs. For some reason, the camera shows the pallet lowering down from the rock's point of view. Is the rock secretly wearing the WCW referee? Because that's the only way that you could get this fucking shot. Now, we see The Rock's face from the point of view of the palette. Was there a camera attached there the entire time? It's ludicrous. It's bonkers. It's insane. And it doesn't matter. The palette is covering The Rock. He can't move. Mick confirms with the assigned official, Earl Hebner. Our shoulders down. Yes. Mick covers. One, two, three, and there's a new champion. I can't believe it. Well, anything can happen in the WWF. Back in Arizona, Shane tosses his glasses to the floor. He's pissed off. Mankind sits on the kegs with the title in hand. He spikes the camera. Yo, Adrian, I did it again. 
The copyright hits! And we end our scene. Wow. What a roller coaster ride this entire program was. Now look, I'm going to say this. I enjoyed this entire show, and I enjoyed it a lot. It's kind of crazy that this entire show doesn't get more credit. You know, for better or worse, the 1999 version of the WWF product is fully on display with the lights shining brightly. You know what I mean? Like, they promoted this heavily. It obviously delivered in the ratings. The Super Bowl, uh, the big game is the highest rated program of, like, each year. This is a statement you're trying to make. And speaking of statements, I'm going to make one. Please hear me before you judge. This show is is not even as close to being as good as the main event where Andre beats Hulk. It's not, okay? But the opportunity to shine feels eerily similar, given the time frame. The contrast in the two products is completely mind-blowing, if you think about it. But given the opportunity that's at stake, given the eyes viewing the product, and given what you're trying to accomplish, you know, I think they really did... did do something unique and memorable. That's what I'm saying. The main event's unique and memorable. It's the greatest single piece of WWF content they've ever produced, in my opinion. This is not that. But the, you know, I feel the same sort of way about it in terms of this is a 1999 version of an opportunity like the original main event is, okay? And I feel like they delivered a pretty fun version of that product at that time being the Attitude Era. And so, highest of recommendations for this entire show. I do think you should watch it. Give it a shot if you haven't seen it already. And if you have seen it, go back and rewatch it. You'll probably laugh more than you thought you would, even though I gave away all the commentary bits and what have you. But speaking of unique and memorable, that's a great couple of adjectives. Look at the adjectives. Unique and memorable. To describe all of the shows here on the new TNN podcast feed, please do me a favor, subscribe, maybe even write a review. Uh, you know, pass some information along to your buddies about the show that might like wrestling or bad movies or shit like that. That way, everybody can get in on all the fun and continue to enjoy all of the antics here on the new TNN podcast feed. I'm Johnny C. And winner is you.